Greetings, my excellent friend. Bill, what? Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. into wild stallions as we always say starting off this podcast or i've started saying recently i should say strange things are afoot in the alliance i'm jay catch joined by my good friend sean walker who is on assignment in las vegas he joins us via our specialized new podcasting equipment sean how are you my friend I'm doing great, Jake. I'm here. Like you mentioned, I am on assignment. I'm actually just outside of uh, fabulous Sam Boyd Stadium, home of the 2019 Alliance of American Football Championship game um, that, as we all know, will be between the two best teams in the league by far, as we've learned through the first half of the season, the Salt Lake Stallions, your Salt Lake Stallions, and the Atlanta Legends. <laughs> well, we can only hope, right? I mean, we'll see. There's still a lot of football left to be played, right? That's true, yeah. We do have five more weeks to go. But the unfortunate part, Sean, is we have a Salt Lake Stallions team that is suddenly one in four. Uh, yeah, that's not ideal. Certainly not ideal. And it was looking really good last week. Um, I, know, I know, Jake, you don't really want to talk about last week's game because hashtag depression and stuff. And, and if you believe Stallions Twitter and Stallions Reddit, uh, there's definitely a little bit of uh, kind of some depressing vibes going on out there. But, um, it, I mean, this, this is a Stallions team that, that yeah, is one and four, but they were literally seconds away from being two and three and, uh, or, or uh, yeah, two and three, sorry, and uh, if I can do math correctly, and uh, being right in the mix of the Western Division title race. But uh, then yeah. the beans, and um, we get a last-second field goal in San Diego, and all of a sudden the Stallions are tied for the bottom of the league. Can we play a little Price is Right horn here? You still there? Yeah. It dropped out right at the end, so um, should we just restart? I don't know what happened. All of a sudden it like went silent, and I'm like, did Sean drop? But now you're back. Well, what part did you hear? I it just kind of dropped out. So let's. Um, so you you were saying about Salt Lake being seconds. That's the thing I heard is being Salt Lake being seconds away from winning. Okay. And, um, let me try to backtrack. <clears throat> okay, go ahead. Three, two, one. Salt Lake was just seconds away from winning from moving up to. Uh, to uh, pretty close to 500 there in the Western Division, being in the thick of the division title race in a really, really compact West. Um, and thanks to some field goals, thanks to some hashtag Mike Marks Magic, uh, the Stallions are now tied for last in the league with a certain team of the Eastern Conference that we won't get into this episode. But if you really want us to get into them, stick around, go subscribe to us on iTunes, on Twitter, um, on Google Play. Uh, we'll talk about them in a couple more days. Yeah, you're right, Sean. It was it was just so close to having a, a team that was two and three, but as it stands, yeah, they're one and four, and they're suddenly cellar dwellers in the Western Division, and that 
I have to say that game, just in terms of sheer game excitement, that was awesome. Josh Woodrum leads this team back from, was it a 13-point deficit, if I'm not mistaken? They take that lead, and you're like, hey, they, they rallied back, they're going to win this game. <laughs> and then, yeah, their heart gets ripped out by San Diego. So I don't know what to say, Sean, because as Ben Kirchfall, I saw him uh, put it on uh, social media. He said that the Stallions are a very good team. They've been so close to winning multiple games, but one in four is one in four. And I have a hard time coming up with anything else other than that. I completely agree with his assessment. Yeah, I mean, one and four is one and four. You know, eventually, you, you can say, and and I I hate this saying that we have in sports, especially professional sports. It's very it's very much coach speak, and and you know me, Jake. I'm one of those hashtag unbiased journalist types, um, and I I really don't like this cliche. Um, but there's there's kind of this phrasing going around, and I think it's going around a lot of the Salt Lake fan base that teams can be better than their record indicates. Um, and I get the sentiment, and I think there is some of that with this Stallions team. But eventually, at the end of the day, uh, and Dennis Erickson actually talked to us about this last week, at the end of the day, it, you know, it doesn't matter the numbers you put up. It doesn't matter the stats that go out there. It doesn't matter kind of the rallying cry and the moxie and the, and the, the hashtag grit as any BYU fan, BYU football fan that listens to us will, will like to hear that word. You know, none of that stuff really goes out to matter because at the end of the day, it, it, you know, sports are a simple game. And then there's a winner and there's a loser. And um, and more often than not, Salt Lake has been on the losing end of their games. I mean, I, I think that's just the most clear-cut way to put it. So, yeah, I mean, it's true. You know, the, the last couple games, you know, they, they lose by two last week in San Diego. They lose by nine the week before that uh, against the best team in the league in Orlando. Um you know, uh, uh, they they obviously pick up that win, kind of sandwich in the middle of their first half of play. But a week before that, they lose by three to a very good Birmingham team. Um, I mean, their worst loss of the season is probably that week one on the road in the Valley of, Sun, of the Sun, 38-22 to 22 to the Arizona Hotshots. But I think the Stallions have gotten better since then. I think Arizona has gotten marketably worse since then. But again, there's just simply that number in front of in front of the team, you know, one and four that just seems to say a lot. And again, I don't think this team is far away from turning things around. I, I think they're close. I think they're getting better. But I also think the rest of the league is getting better. Uh, and I don't know if the rate of improvement, quite frankly, is maybe where Dennis Erickson and the Salt Lake Stallions want to be right now. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, but I think the one thing we can take away from this, Sean, we, we heard from Coach Erickson last week talking about the fact that he wanted to see more explosion uh, from his from his offense. Well, uh, early on in that game against San Diego, it looked like it was kind of the same old offense, but late in that game, uh, whatever it may be, whatever if it was desperation, whatever it was, but they started showing those chunk plays. They started getting the chunk plays. They had the season-long pass, went over for 40 yards. And they they started getting those chunks. And if they can continue to develop that, and I really think with the defensive effort this team has shown through five weeks, this is a team that's very close to winning at a consistent clip. The sad part is this season's half over, and they're going to be lucky at this point in my mind to make the playoffs. Yeah, completely, completely. All right. Um, and so sort of, sort of in that vein, Jake, and I like it that you mentioned how the season is half over, we're starting to see – a little bit of separation, maybe not a ton, but a little bit of separation between 
um, kind of the, the top teams in the Alliance of American Football and the bottom teams in the Alliance of American Football. And sort of in that vein, I wanted to take a little bit of a holistic approach to this podcast. Okay. Um, and hand out what I'm dubbing the inaugural midseason award of the Alliance of American Football. I like it. Um, and so I've got a couple of categories. Uh, and I just, I just want to run through kind of some standout players, some standout teams, some standout events of the first five weeks of the season. What have we learned about the AAF? Um, going forward, and then maybe we'll kind of wrap it up with, with what can the league take from the first half of the season into the second half of the season? How do we sort of see things shake up? Do sort of a kind of a mid-season review, I guess, of our preseason predictions. Yeah. Um, and, and and guesstimate, I guess, uh, a little bit of what lies in store for the last five weeks of the season. Okay, yeah, I like that. So um, before we do that, Sean, I'm, I, so I say what we're going to do here is let's recap the other scores from week five real quick from the other t- games in the Alliance because there were some very entertaining games league-wide this this past weekend. And then we'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll do those awards. How about that? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, let's move on to some of these games here. Uh, I think I thought one of the games we thought was going to be one of the better games of the weekend ended up being a blowout. Orlando beats Birmingham 31-14. to Orlando remains undefeated, and all you can say is Orlando is the class of this league, plain and simple. That's all, that's all I can take away from it. Yeah, and we knew that Orlando had a very good offense. Uh, what I was most impressed with this week was Orlando's defense. I mean, holding Trent Richardson, the former first-round NFL draft pick, Birmingham star, to just 21 yards and a touchdown on eight carries. Um, again, I said it several times on this podcast. I'm going to say it again. You can't really completely stop Trent Richardson, uh, but you can't hope to slow him down. And I think Orlando has done as good of a job as anybody, if not better, of just slowing down the freight train that is the Birmingham Iron. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, absolutely is the truth. Orlando, very, very good, undefeated. The old ball coach, they're expected to win this championship, and I don't think there's anybody that's going to argue with that. So I thought it was a good uh, – that was the biggest in terms of margin of victory in that game with Orlando blowing out Birmingham. Uh, but then the other two games, Sean, we saw, uh, we had Memphis at Atlanta. The Legends uh, beat Memphis 23-20. to uh, And then – yeah, exactly. Winning streak, absolutely, and that's kind of impressive considering how um, how rough it was, how rough of a go Atlanta had early this season. To see them win back to back games, I think, was truly impressive. Yeah, and it gives a little bit of hope, I think, for uh, those those teams that did find themselves get off to a poor start. You know, looking at you, Stallion, um, that things can turn around in a hurry here. When you're talking about an 18 league, a first year franchise. Uh, you can suddenly, you know, if you make one or two changes, you know, find a hidden gem, um, find a certain former Georgia quarterback who can throw for 300 plus yards <laughs> yes, yeah. and, and take care of the football, you know, that sort of thing. Um, fortune could change really quickly in the AAF, and Atlanta's taking advantage of that. Now, granted, they are also taking advantage of it um, against, uh, uh, you know, some less than stellar, some sputtering competition, if you will, in the Alliance of American Football, but you know, you only play the teams that are that are ahead of you, um, and I think uh, I think they can be a little bit of a standard there, or a little bit of a lesson for the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would agree with you on that. Um, and then, so yeah, Atlanta gets their winning streak, and then their final game of the weekend, Sean. What in the world happened to Arizona? Like they have just they what have. Indeed. 
Yeah, so San Antonio goes to Arizona and emerges with a 29-25 victory. Uh, the Commanders all of a sudden look like maybe the class of the Western Conference when we all thought that Arizona, after the first two weeks, was going to be far and away. Well, at least I assumed was going to be kind of the chief contender with Orlando, but it looks like it might be San Antonio and Orlando on a collision course. Yeah, and then your boy, uh, John Wolford, the Wolford Wagon, Arizona Hotshots quarterback, still doing a little bit of what we saw. I think early in the season, mm-hmm. just an explosive player, very good player, very good passer, threw for 246 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Um, but what have they been doing the last couple of weeks? They're not taking care of the football. You know, no, Wolford no. threw for three touchdowns um, last week against the Commanders. They're just turning the ball over at a at a monstrous clip. And when you've got uh, – you know, I mean, even Arizona coach Rick Neuheisel will tell you that if, if you keep turning the ball over – as much as as much as Arizona has been doing, you're playing with fire, no yep. pun intended. Um, and the hotshots are figuring that out the hard way. The Stallions are also figuring that out. You know, I mean, just listen to Dennis Erickson after that game in San Diego. You can't turn the ball over uh, as much as these teams are and expect to win a whole lot of games, even with some very good performances like what you saw from uh, from the Wolf of Black. Yeah, it's the truth. Uh, so it's just kind of crazy to think Arizona after what we saw from them. You said, that, yeah, the offense is still playing a lot better, but when you do turn the ball over, it's been a problem. We saw it with the Stallions. They turned the ball over five times in that loss to San Diego. Still had a chance to win it amazingly. Dennis Erickson, after the game, said he's been through all kinds of games. He said upwards of 300 in his head coaching career, and he said he hadn't seen a game like that ever. So turnovers are the great differentiator, and it's proving true with both the Stallions and the Hot shot Sean and I think that these teams can learn take care of the ball you're usually going to be in good shape if you turn it over you can't expect much yeah I mean five turnovers for the hot shots as well that's just too much you know you got to keep the ball off the ground you've got to keep the ball away from enemy defensive backs um, and if, if you do that you know you're going to put yourself in, in pretty good position to win nine times out of ten barring a last second field goal from 44 yards out at a uh, Jack Murphy State. That's the truth. All right, Sean, let's take a time out here. We'll come back on the other side. We'll do the we'll do our awards, our our debut midseason awards for the Alliance. We'll talk about all that next. You're listening to Wild Stallions. Welcome back to Wild Stallions, your podcast focused on the Alliance of American Football, and particularly the Salt Lake Stallions. I'm Jay Catch. He is Sean Walker. Sean joins me live from Las Vegas. He is live on location for conference championship week with college basketball. He's on assignment for his media outlet, KSL.com. I'm back here in Salt Lake City. I'm actually at the Real Salt Lake Academy which is actually the home practice facility for the Salt Lake Stallions. I am sitting here right as they're about to start practice, so this is kind of exciting to be doing this. But, Sean, you said you wanted to talk about midseason awards. Where are we starting? Let's jump right into it, Jake, because we've been here through the first five weeks of the Alliance of American Football. There have been a lot of players that have really stood out. It's the reason why television ratings are up as high as they are. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the reason why some markets are drawing as well as they are at the gate in terms of attendance. and, uh, and I think we're seeing even a lot of, of explosive offensive players that are going to be on NFL rosters right there. So let's start, let's start on the bad end, Dave. Let's start with our, 
mid-season, our inaugural mid-season offensive MVP in the Alliance of American Football. Right. Um, I'm gonna, and that, yeah, I'm gonna guess you're gonna agree with me, but I'm gonna go ahead and let you make your first pick. Yeah, I'm gonna go with a guy who I think is isn't going to be long here in the AAF. I think this guy is going to be on an NFL roster, um, and probably sooner rather than later. Uh, I just I, I don't see him sticking around this league because he's putting up some just absolutely ridiculous, explosive numbers. Um, and that is one Orlando Apollo's quarterback, Garrett Gilbert. Hey, way to take my pick, Sean. Come on now. It's what I do. What I do. <laughs> no, you're right. It, I don't think there's any argument for, on this pick at all. Yeah, I, I mean, 62.8% passer, 1,357 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, for those of us who listened to the last segment, we talked about how um, it, it's really hard to fall over. Garrett Gilbert hasn't been turning the ball over. I mean, not only is he a prolific passer, but he's also an excellent game manager. Uh, you know, he's got as many touchdowns on the year as half of the teams in the league just by himself. Uh, he really is kind of the engine that has the Apollos, that, that is moving the Apollos um, averaging a team high or a league high, excuse me, 29.8 points per game. Uh, and there's a reason why they're the only undefeated team left in the Alliance. No, that's the truth. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's truly impressive what he is doing. It shows what a good coach can do because we all know that Steve Spurrier, he can coach offense like ain't, ain't nobody's business. So it's awesome to see that. But, yeah, Garrett Gilbert, that was just a given in my mind that he would he would be the, our, be our midseason offensive MVP. Um, I'm assuming you want to go to defensive MVP next. Yeah, let's move on to the defense. Jake, who do you like on the defensive side of the football in this season so far? Well, so I'm actually going to stick in Orlando for my defensive player of the midseason defensive player of the year, and I'm actually going to go with Terrence Garvin. Uh, he's a linebacker for Orlando. He's been lights out. I think he's a guy that's going to be in the NFL before long. He has collected a total of 14 tackles on the season uh, overall, but more importantly, Sean, he's actually tied for the league lead with one of his teammates, Keith Reeser, as well as Cameron Kelly, who took three interceptions off of the Stallions this past week. But he has three interceptions this season. He's tied for the league lead in interceptions. He's shown the ability to just play in space. He's been all over the field for Orlando. So I'm sticking with our offensive and defensive MVPs residing in Orlando. Where are you going? I, I like it. I think it's really hard to argue with that. Um, but, Jake, in addition to being the Internet's foremost bastion of uh, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures Tribute Podcast. We're uh-huh. also a Salt Lake Stallion Podcast. So I'm going to stay close to home with Mike Beeson for when you guys have been getting a little bit of pub, but I don't think he's getting enough just for what he's doing, and it's probably because of what he's doing on, quite frankly, the, uh, what is so far, statistically at least, the worst team in the league, tied to the bottom of the league. Um, but staying close to home, I, I'm going to give my defensive MVP award to one former Northern Iowa defensive end Carter Schultz I like of New York Salt Lake Stallions. Um, 18 total tackles, 17 of them solo. The dude is just a beast around the line of scrimmage. I think this is one of the best pass rushers in the league. He's got five sacks on the season. That is a, uh, a team high with the Salt Lake Stallions. One of the best pass rushers in the league. And you talk, We talk about guys who aren't going to stick around for very long. I think Carter Schultz is going to wind up on an NFL roster before all is said and done. 
um, and probably sooner rather than later. Because in the National Football League, Jake, you know this probably better than I do. Uh, but pass rushing right now is at a premium. And when you find a guy who just has a nose um, and an ability to get into the backfield and disrupt plays the way that somebody like Carter Schultz can, uh, that that's in demand. That's that's at a premium. And I think in a NFL scouts can be noticed. No, I think you're dead on, and it, 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 I, I I wanted to go with Carter Schultz, and I had a sneaking suspicion that you might pick him because yeah, he is leading the league in sacks. He's got five on the year. You mentioned the fact that the NFL very much uh, pass rusher in a, pass rushers are very much in vogue and very much in demand because with the new rules in professional football, particularly the NFL, Sean, they favor the offense, they favor the quarterbacks. The only um, great differentiator that a, de- a great defense can have is a great pass rusher that can. Get get to that quarterback and disrupt him. And a guy like Carter Schultz, he has proven that he can get to the quarterback, especially when he's healthy. He's got the league lead in sacks, like I said, with five on the year so far. So it's an average of, sack, of a sack per game. I, I really like that pick. Yeah, and he's doing it as well with some slightly different, not completely different, but, but with a modified rules in regards to the pass rush that the AAF has uh, compared to the NFL. You know, some people say some some maybe defensive purists and whatever. I don't necessarily fall into this category, mm-hmm. but I have seen some defensive purists say that that there is a little bit of handicapping of, of the defenses in in particular in regards to the pass rush in the Alliance of American Football, um, just in terms of, of how often you can blitz, how many guys you can blitz, that sort of thing. And the fact that Carter Schultz is able to do what he's doing um, with – some of those those rule changes and, like I said, some might call them restrictions. Um, I think it's just nothing sort of phenomenal. And, and like I said, I I don't know if he's on for Salt Lake because of that, but for good reason. For good reason. Absolutely. All right, Sean, where are we going next? Let's move to our uh, first half team of the year. Okay. Uh, and so my pick for this one is going to be a team that uh, I. I mentioned a little bit at the start of this podcast. You mentioned a little bit, I think, at the start of this podcast. Um, it's a team that finds itself at the top of its division um, that, it, you know, it, it maybe didn't have the quickest start as some teams, uh, but it started well enough. It's leading its division right now. Um, it's putting up pretty explosive offensive numbers. It's got a quarterback, a really good quarterback. It's led by a fairly legendary college football coach, which I think a lot of people in this team like. Um, and, uh, and it's averaging right around a, um, uh, sorry if I can do some quick math, but, uh, 20 something points per game, yeah. which I think is explosive enough as, as explosive as anybody in the Alliance of American football. Um, and for that reason, my first half team of the year, if you want to give a drum roll, are your San Antonio Commanders? Really? Wow! Yeah, top 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 team in the Western Division, three and two. Obviously, a lot of teams can say that because the West is extremely packed. Um, you probably expected me to go with the Orlando Apollos because of how much we've gushed on here. Yeah. Um, and I was really tempted to there, but I really like what the Commanders have done, just in being able to to rebound from um, from a little bit of a slow start, if you will. Uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, I'm going to mention them a little bit later in this award show, this podcast segment as well. Um, okay. But I just, I really, really like what the commanders are doing down in San Antonio. 
Okay, I like it. I, Sean, I'm going with Orlando. I think that team's been lights out. They've done everything right. They're undefeated. They look like the class of the league. They are the odds-on favorite to win the title. I have a hard time going against Orlando. Uh, no, that's fair. And I, and I fully expected you to go right there. And so that's kind of why I threw you a little bit of a curveball there with the San Antonio Commanders. Part of the reason why I like the Commanders um, and Steve Steve Spurrier, as we move to first half coach of the year, Steve Spurrier was very much in my discussion for coach of the year. The old ball coach showing that he's still got it, even at approximately like 85 years old or however old he is. He's getting up there in age. Yeah. He's been around the game a long time. Um, he knows what he's doing. Uh, and, and maybe because of that, I, I don't know if it's totally fair. This is probably unfair. So I apologize to Apollo fans who might be tuning in to this podcast. But I almost expected Steve Spurrier to have a great team, to lead a great offense, to be able to throw around the ball and, and do things with guys like Garrett Gilbert, um, like he's doing. There is a lot of that that was expected. Yeah, it's um, true. And so because of that, my first half coach of the year goes right in line with my first half team of the year. Um, and that's San Antonio Commanders coach Mike Wright. Hey, I, I, I like that pick, Sean, because it is a little bit underrated, but what San Antonio has done, they kind of just been a steady team so far. I really do think you, you're onto something there. Yeah, and, and, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about what Spurrier and what Gilbert have been able to do in Orlando, and get, Garrett Gilbert's going to find himself on the NFL roster soon for, for his just electric, um, it, it kind of just the electric offense that he provides. But uh, San Antonio Commanders quarterback Logan Woodside has also thrown for over 1,000 yards in the first five games of the year. 54% passer for 1,025 yards and four touchdowns. He's got six interceptions. But he's also learned over the last two or three weeks how to manage that. He's been he's yeah. been much better taking care of the football. Kind of struggled out of the gate. Um, that is maybe why the commander struggled a little bit out of the gate, was taking care of the football. But he's gotten a lot better the last couple of weeks. You can see him improving. You can see you can see him kind of consciously thinking about where he puts the football. Um, and I put a lot of that on coaching and guys like my credit. I get that, and that's that's the interesting part about it. And we'll see how that um, how that plays out the rest of the year. But it really looks like they're really rounding into form, and that's that's a good sign. Uh, Sean, I'm a, I'm actually with Coach of the Year. I know that I've gone very Orlando heavy, but I'm sticking with it. I'm going to go with Steve Spurrier, and I'm not going just for the offensive side of the ball, Sean, because I'm going to actually go because the Orlando Orlando's defense has been extremely impressive as well as their prolific offense. They're actually second in total yards on defense in the entire league, which is probably surprising to some considering Orlando's known for its offensive prowess and its ability to score points. But this is a very well-rounded team. I know that they have the advantage of having all the players that have come out of the state of Florida, the colleges there, a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism to join that team. So they should have a a market advantage in terms of just the athletic part of their teams, but it's truly impressive to me that as prolific of an offense as Orlando has had this year, it's, they've had an equally stingy defense, so that's why I'm going to go with, go with a Spurrier in Orlando. Yeah, and so much opposition, so turnover prone um, in a good way. Yeah. Orlando defense yep. seven sacks, seven interceptions, five fumbles forced in the first five games of the year, and they can recover a couple more of those fumbles I mean, this is a defense that really helps out its offense. I mean, that's a very, very good pick for, uh, like I mentioned, for for, uh, for for first half coach of the year. All right. All right. Um, we got one more award here, Sean. We got two more. I just realized that I uh, 
So I originally sent you the list, and uh, I totally forgot the third facet of the Alliance for American Football. Oh, I'm yeah. going to throw you up a curveball here. Are We're going to go with Special Teams Mid-Season Player of the Year. Well, you already know. You, you should already know my pick on this. All right, I'll let, I'll let you start then. All right, it's going to be Young Hoku, plain and simple. He's been lights out kicking the ball. I think he's going to be back in the NFL kicking at some point next year. He's a former, he's a Georgia Southern alum of all places, the Go Eagles. But I, I'm, I think he's been lights out. He's helped his team innumerably uh, with big kicks and key moments. If I'm not mistaken, he hasn't missed a kick yet this year. So I'm going with Young Hoku. I was really, really tempted to go with Young Hoku as well. And I am going to agree with you to an extent. Although, for the sake of argument, I'm not going to go with Koo because I don't think he's going to be much longer for Atlanta as well, um, which I guess is a good thing. But it's just so many hashtag NFL kickers out there across 32 leagues. Yeah. Somebody, I mean, somebody's got to pick him up, right? Absolutely. Right? right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to go a little bit off the beaten path. I'm going to go with Colton Schmidt from the Birmingham Iron. Okay. Because the Iron are a team that. Let, I mean, let's just say, you know, I, I respect and I appreciate what Luis Perez has been able to do at quarterback. I think he's been fine. I think Trent Richardson is fine as a running back. But the Iron aren't a team that that blow you away or that wow you necessarily with their offensive numbers. They're a team that likes to win in a gritty defensive way, um, very typical of pretty much every college football team in the state of Alabama. Um and another thing that they like to do is is they just they take pride in special teams, which yeah, I think is, is really special. And you you can really see that in punt and punt receive. Um, Colvin Schmidt just has this ability to kind of place the ball right where he wants it. Uh, the the iron allow next to no return yards um, on the year. They're they're very good just in terms of of uh, not just in punting but in punt coverage. Um, and so I'm going to give it to Colvin Schmidt, but kind of with that caveat of of uh, just the, the the punt coverage there, I think it's been pretty fantastic with the Burn Camel. All right, all right, and our final uh, award here, Sean. Yeah, Jake, let's move to our final award, and this one this one could be a lot of fun. Um, I'm dubbing it the first half moment of the year. Okay. Uh, and you probably know where I'm going with this because there. Were, um, and I will say for, for this award. Um, this is this is just one moment or one play. It can be on the field or it can be off the field. But it was it's kind of that moment where where you sort of said, "Hey, the Alliance of American Football is here and it's here to stay." And I think there's good stuff coming out of this week. So I'm gonna go all the way back to week one, opening night <laughs> between the San Diego Fleet and the San Antonio Commanders, and I'm gonna give a big shout out. To our man, my man, Dennis Erickson's man, because he recruited him to Arizona State, mm-hmm. Mike Bercovici, San Diego Fleet quarterback. Um, but I'm going to give a shout-out to him for taking the hit to end all hits. Just to yeah. up on a pass rush, on opening night, a play that made, uh, it made ESPN Sports in his top ten. It made top 10 on, on CBS Sports, um, at the NFL Network, on pretty much every broadcasting outlet. Uh, you saw it on social media, on mm-hmm. Facebook, on Twitter. It, it's got a couple million views, just that highlight alone on YouTube already. Uh, Mike Berkovici's hit um, on a sack that uh, sent his helmet flying 
in San Antonio's 15 to six win over the fleet. That is my first half moment of the year. I would love to argue with you, Sean, but I legitimately do not think there's a more iconic moment in the young history of this league. I know a lot. I know there were some people that were freaking out, saying, "Well, hits like that shouldn't be legal. They've taken them out of the NFL." Here's the deal. I really feel like that hit, Sean, really grabbed people's attention who were watching that opening night. Had some cursory interest in this league, and I think it made him sit up a little straighter and say, "Whoa, they play football in this league. I'm paying. I'm going to pay more attention to this." So I, I literally don't think you can argue any other play. Yeah, one hundred percent. I, I think the fleet needs to rebrand for season two. They need to put Mike Bertamici, Mike Bertamici on the logo, uh, <laughs> helmet flying off and everything. Um, just go full MLB or NBA with this guy. I want to see a silhouette. I want to see Mike silhouette, helmet free, um, just being tossed into the distance okay. on next year's logo. I like that. I think that would actually be really funny, but they won't do it, but it'd still be awesome anyways. All right, Sean, any final thoughts from you before we wrap up this edition of the podcast? Jake, as you know, strange things are afoot in the Alliance of American Football, and and I feel like we've jumped into a, uh, a hot tub time machine or a phone booth, yep. if you will, uh, because I cannot believe that we are already halfway through the uh, the first season of this first year franchise or first year league. It's true. It's kind of wild to think about, but yeah, we are halfway through. There are five games left, and of course there'll be uh, two rounds of playoffs. We got about seven weeks in the debut season of this league remaining. I'm excited to keep covering it, Sean. I love doing this podcast. It's a blast to to talk with you each week, talk with our listeners. Feel free to follow us at wild underscore stallions, spelled S-T-A-L-L-Y-N-S, as God intended. Make sure you follow us there. Let us know your thoughts on the podcast. We've had multiple people reach out. It's awesome to be doing this podcast, and I'm excited to preview week six coming up later this week. Yeah, and once again, if you, if you agree or disagree with any of our midseason awards, um, feel free to argue us there on Twitter. We're also on Facebook at Wild Stallions, all one word, Stallions with a Y. Um, or leave us a leave us a rating and review. Go ahead and argue with us in the comment section on iTunes. You can search us Wild Stallions on iTunes. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Tell us why we're a bunch of idiots and, and uh, why you completely disagree with Jake's love affair with the Orlando Apollo. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You feel free to do that. All right, Sean. Well, uh, we will talk to you later this week when we get ready to preview week six. Thanks for joining me live on location. I'm glad our equipment worked out, and this is an exciting development. We can now record record remotely if we need to. Yeah, and as always, if you really don't like anything that we have to say, feel free to respond to our burner Twitter account, at PK Kenahan. Absolutely. For Sean, I'm Jake. Have a great day, and remember, strange things are afoot in the Alliance. Be excellent to each other. And...